following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We're going to be talking in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. As you remember last week, Tim shared on uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, I believe it was, 12, 13. And uh, we're going to be picking up there. I'm going to be speaking specifically on uh, verses 13 through 17 on the armor of God. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to begin in verse 13. And before I begin reading, just a couple of introductory comments as we look at this passage. You remember that Ephesians can be split up into two halves. Uh, the first half, verse chapters 1 through 3, he really gives a, doctrin- a doctrinal treatise and lays down uh, who we are in Christ, everything that we have in Christ, and sets a stage for a, a solid foundation. And then in chapters 4 through 6, it's the more practical side of the book. And he, he begins by talking about the high calling that we have and to, walk, walk a, uh, to, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received uh, on through chapters 4, 5, and then into chapter 6. And in chapter 5, he picks up the theme of being filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, and in that theme of being filled with the Spirit of God... Uh, that carries right on into chapter 6. So as far as I'm concerned, we're still in that theme of walking the Christian life based upon the doctrinal foundation that he's laid. But it's still within the context of being filled with the Spirit of God. And the only reason I say that is because when we talk about, when we talk about spiritual warfare or the spiritual battle that we're in as Christians, there is no way that you and I can survive this type of warfare, this type of battle without being filled with the Spirit of God, without relying upon the Spirit of God. It's just impossible. And he picks that up in chapter 5, verse 18, and he carries it on through to chapter 6, all the way to the end of the book of Ephesians. And even when he talks about, um, uh, you know, don't get drunk with wine, he says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns. So when you're speaking and giving thanks and you're submitting to one another in brotherly love, that's all in the context of being filled with the Spirit, the way wives treat their husbands, husbands treat their wives, parents treat their kids, kids, kids treat their parents, and bosses and slaves. And then it comes right down into the spiritual battle. And that's still in the context of being filled with the Spirit. So I just, I just say that as a, as a foundation before we get into this, that, that Paul is very much talking about the practical side of the Christian life. And in order to, to be victorious in this battle, that we have to pay attention to the whole book of Ephesians, where he lays down a spiritual foundation in chapters 1 through 3. And then he gets into the practical aspect where we're to walk the walk and walk according to the high calling that we've been given as Christians in Christ Jesus. And so in verse 13, we pick it up there, and he says, Therefore, put on, the whole, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, uh, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you again for your word. Uh, thank you for uh, the Apostle Paul in the writings uh, that you inspired in him. And I pray that you would, uh, Father, help us to get a handle on this passage today so that we might be able to be more prepared for the battle at hand. Uh, Father, we commit ourselves afresh to you and pray that you would speak to us uh, by your Spirit and through your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I wonder, how many of you uh, got up this morning and took a shower? And you looked in the mirror and, you guys, you shaved. Some of us. Uh, you, did you hear, you know, ladies, you took a shower and, you know, put your face on. We call it putting the face on in my house. Put your face on. Uh, whatever it is, and then walked outside naked. How many of you did that this morning? Well, nobody, nobody, nobody would do that. I mean, you just don't do that, right? But many times, as Christians, that's exactly what we do. We walk out of the house naked, without our spiritual armor on. Now, every illustration breaks down somewhere, and that's where that illustration breaks down. Uh, I just threw it out there because it gets it's a good attention getter. Yeah. Um, but you've heard the expression, there's more to life that meets the eye. You've heard that expression, no? There's more to life that, to, that, than, that meets the eye. And that's, that's never been more true when we talk about the spiritual battle that we're in. There is a battle that's going on all around us. Uh, and the Bible warns us of this battle over and over time and time again. For instance, the Bible says, watch and pray. The Bible says to be on the alert because your, your enemy is, roar, is going about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Bible tells us to be alert. It tells us to stand firm. And over again, the Bible admonishes us to be ready for the battle that we are currently involved in. Okay, And this isn't a battle that's coming. It's It's happening. It's happening all around us. And it's, it's a very real battle. Um, how do you know that you're in a battle? Matter of fact, when, when Jesus was tempted, remember Jesus tempted in, in Matthew chapter 4. If you look at the parallel passage of that in Mark, uh, excuse me, in Luke, it says at the end of that temptation that Satan left him to find a more what? Opportune time to come back and tempt the Son of God. So there's absolutely no question that Part of the devil's strategy is to tempt you and to bring you into an area of temptation. And we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm not going to talk so much about the devil. I'm not going to talk so much about his tactics. Uh, Tim covered that all last week. If you missed that, it's on the website. You can go and listen to it. I'm going to be talking more about the armor and what the armor means to the Christian and how we apply the armor of God in our daily life. And so I'm going to be covering mainly chapter, uh, verses 13 through 16. But the Bible constantly warns us to, to watch and pray, be alert, stand firm, be on the guard. And, uh, and so how do you know you're in a battle? 
Well, every time you have the opportunity to uh, be vindicative towards someone else, you're in a spiritual battle. Every time you have the opportunity to uh, say something harsh or hurtful to someone else, you're in a spiritual battle. Every time you harbor unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart, you're in a spiritual battle. There is a battle that is raging all around us, and many times we don't see it because it's an unseen battle. Uh, Life is a spiritual battlefield. There are forces at work in this world that want to do you in. There's forces at work in this world that want to keep you from living living for Jesus. There's forces that work in this world that want to keep you from ministering in Jesus' name. There's forces that are work in this world that want to keep you from showing mercy and love to other people. And Satan is doing everything he can to defeat you as a believer. And I think part of the reason why we don't see this many times as believers is because of what Dr. Francis Schaeffer, the late Francis Schaeffer, called the upper story and lower story. And some of you have read Schaeffer. I'm a big Schaeffer fan. Uh, He talks about the upper story and the lower story, the upper story being the metaphysical world, the lower story being the physical world. And as Western Christians, Western Christians, we have done a great job of separating the two. And so we have our box. We have our box for the, the metaphysical stuff, and we have our box for the physical stuff. If it's, if it's something to do with spirituality, the spiritual realm, then it goes in this box and we deal with it. But if it doesn't fit in that box, we put it in this box, and we've separated, we've separated our worldview into two. Now, I might shock some of you by saying this. You can call me a heretic. That's fine. I think that there are some... I think that Asians, unregenerate Asians, have more of a biblical worldview than some Christians. I really believe that. Some unregenerate Asians have more of a biblical worldview than Christians who claim to be biblical in their worldview. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, when I was living in Central Thailand some years ago, there was... Uh, we were out doing some evangelism and stuff, and I was running across some farmers, and this one farmer had a field, a rice field, and it was flooded. It just got, it just got ruined. There was bad rains that came, monsoon came, and just ruined this guy's crop. And I saw him, and he was out there worshiping at an altar because he was appeasing the spirit of the land because of what had happened, the bad fortune that had come to him. Right beside him was another field. It was pristine, not ruined at all. The same man, that's another guy, was worshiping as well. Now, what was the difference? You see, what, see, we would look at that as a Westerner, and we'd put it in our box, you know. And so we'd look at that and we'd say, well, you know, this one, you know, bad luck. You know, life's tough. It rained a lot, you got flooded out. Hey, that's bad luck, you know. But he's, he looks at it totally differently. He looks at it as being a spiritual problem. And he doesn't separate the two. He doesn't separate the metaphysical world from the physical world. It's all one for him. And I think it's, I think it's, it's vitally important that we as Christians really work at not separating these two worlds, the metaphysical and the physical, but looking at life as a whole. Now, that doesn't mean you see a demon behind every rock. And, you know, Tim got into that last week. It doesn't mean you get 
a little bit off your rocker and start, you know, getting this wacko theology. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is having more of a biblical worldview where, where you don't always say, oh, well, you know, uh, tough luck. Or that's just, that's just uh, the way the clouds move. But maybe there is something else there. And so when we talk about the spiritual battle, it's, it's real. It's real. Now, um, it's interesting because, uh, um, you know, I think, I think if we could, if, if, if somehow God could just take the shields off our eyes for just but a second so that we could see into the spiritual realm and actually see the battle that is raging, I think most of us would be so scared we'd probably just faint flat out. I mean, that's how, that's how real it is. If we could just see for one second the battle that's going on in the heavenlies, I think, I think, we, would just be, I think we would just be frozen solid. It'd be so frightening. And yet this is what's going on. Now, now let me make it perfectly clear that we may have a very strong enemy and Satan and all of his minions... But uh, let me make it perfectly clear. Don't get the impression that the fight between God and the devil is a close match, because it's not. It's not even close. Okay? I mean, Satan is a defeated foe. Uh, we are victorious. And, and, and the wonderful thing about this spiritual battle that I think we need to realize is oftentimes we look at this battle as we're, we're, we're fighting for victory. No, we're not. We already have victory. We're fighting from a position of victory and calling down from heaven to the earth. A lot of times we look at this as we're, we're on earth trying to do something in heaven. Now, it's the other way around. We've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're fighting from a vantage point that's very high, calling down from the heavens to the earth. And so it's a very different type of battle. And the victory is already ours. And I know you know that, but sometimes we need to hear it. And so as we look at this armor, um, James says... He says in verse 13, he says this in verse 13, he says, uh, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And so he says, uh, put on the full armor, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand or resist, and then stand. Now, the concept there of standing or resisting, you know, James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And really, the devil has no option but to flee. When you resist the devil in the proper way, he has no resistance. He has to flee. He can't stand before you. He can't. And the whole concept of to take a stand here is not that we're, we're standing to... It's not a passive thing by any, by any means. But what it means to stand is that, much like what he said in Matthew, that we are pressing in on the gates of hell. That we're taking a stand and we're protecting a spiritual area, but then we're also, we have our shields of faith together as a body and we're moving forward, penetrating into the kingdom of darkness. So the idea of stand firm isn't we're just passive and, you know, the arrows are hitting us and we're kind of protecting ourselves and that's it. That's not the idea. But the idea is that we're standing firm, but we're not backing down. Matter of fact, we're going forward. A, it may be ever so slowly, 
but we're moving forward and we're banging down on the gates of hell. That's the concept here. And so he said, stand firm and doing all that you have done, stand. So, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand, stand your ground, and after you have done everything, stand. And then verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, we have a picture up here. Go back to that first picture. And I try to find the best picture. I, uh, ladies, you, I know you're going to enjoy this. I, isn't that a good-looking Roman soldier? <laughs> I mean, he is really cute. I mean, I try to find the best-looking guy I could find. And, uh, but yeah. Anyway, this is, uh, this is the best picture I could find to depict the type of armor that a Roman soldier would wear. And you can see that there are six pieces of armor. And, uh, and so we got the uh, belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. And don't, don't pay any attention to the writing because they got it all wrong. Okay, um, but at any rate, uh, so he says, put on the full armor of God. Now, now the armor of God here is is uh, is a metaphor. It's a metaphor, and a metaphor is is uh, a comparison. It's a spiritual analogy. It's a metaphor that he gives. It's 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 an interesting metaphor. And Paul here is describing a Roman soldier. Now, it may be because when when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he was of course under house arrest which means that he had a Roman soldier tied to him at all times. He was chained to him at all times. He had some freedom, but he was under house arrest. So everywhere he went, he had this dude next to him. Okay? And not that that guy was dressed in full Roman attire like this guy. But Paul was a Roman citizen, and he was well acquainted with war. He saw many wars, I'm sure. He saw many soldiers in the midst of battle, he knew what a Roman soldier looked like. He knew what a Roman soldier had in terms of equipment, weapons, that sort of thing. And so, so he, he, makes this, he makes this spiritual analogy and compares it to the Christian. He sees that a Roman soldier is ready for warfare, ready to fight. And, uh, and he says, in the same way, we need to be protected in the battle that we're in. And so he makes a comparison. It's a metaphor. Uh, but the interesting thing about this metaphor that I want you to see, and I think this is going to burst some of your theological bubbles, uh, it's going to rock some of your exegetical boats, is that each item in this, in, this, uh, in this armor is a parallel. It's a parallel behavior. Okay? Uh, each item on the list parallels a behavior that we are to do as Christians. Now, the armor of God... It's not something you put on. You see, and, and for years, we've read this passage and we've looked at it and we, and we get frustrated with it because we think, you know, how do you put this stuff on? I mean, you get, yeah, some people, are you supposed to pray it on? Oh, really? Um, what do you do with it? I mean, I think that's the struggle that many, many Christians have. You look at this armor... You got a, a belt of truth, a blessed parade of righteousness, a helmet of salvation. And what do you do with that? How do you, how do you put it on? Well, the fact of the matter is, is you don't put it on. You don't put it on. Now that, that may burst some of your theological bubbles. The fact of the matter is, people, is that you already possess it. You already possess it. 
Because the armor of God is a picture of Jesus. How many of you here have salvation? Can you raise your hands? You know you're saved. You've, you've, you've had salvation. How many of you here are walking by faith? How many of you here uh, have a righteous standing before God? How many of you here have a Bible? So when, when you talk about the armor of God, it's something that you already possess. It's, it's part of your spiritual inheritance. That's what Paul was saying in the first three chapters. It's part of your spiritual inheritance. It's something that you have. And so when he says to put on the armor of God, what he's talking about is a type of behavior. Each piece of the armor parallels a type of behavior that we're to have as Christians. And so that's where I'm going with this. Um, and so the first piece here, he says, put on the belt of truth. Now, the, the emphasis... The emphasis is not on the item or the armor and all that it symbolizes. And most, most people go off on that. Most commentators, they go off on that. Uh, it's not necessarily on the piece of armor or what it symbolizes, but it's more an emphasis on behavior. And Paul is challenging us to emulate a type of behavior through the armor, through putting on the armor of God. And so he talks about the belt of truth. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, uh, you can see the picture there. Roman soldiers in that day, they would wear something called a tunic. It was, uh, they had it on a piece of linen cloth over them, and then they would put on a tunic, which was sort of like, not, not, not a Roman toga, not quite that radical, but it was, it was basically the common dress of a Roman, of a Roman person. They, everybody, everybody wore a tunic, okay? And it would come down, it was like a T-shape, they put their head through it and their arms through it, you know, and it'd be short sleeve and come down probably below their knees. And that's what they would, that was, that's what they would wear. And, but a Roman soldier, when he was getting ready to go into battle, he would put on a belt. And the belt was very much like a belt. It would buckle much like the belt that you and I wear today. But it had, uh, had all these, uh, these uh, what do they call thongs coming down from it. And the belt was very important because the belt, when you put the belt on, you would take your tunic and bring it up behind you in the back and secure it so that it wouldn't get in the way. You would have freedom of movement. I mean, the last thing a soldier wants is he doesn't want to be restricted when he's in, oftentimes, hand-to-hand combat. And so we would take this belt and we'd put the belt on to bring the tunic up and secure it in place. But then that belt was also the foundation of everything that the soldier had. Because on that belt, he would secure his, his scubbard, which held his sword. He would uh, often hang his rations, his food rations from that belt. Uh, when they went into a place and they conquered, they would often take spoils and carry them on that belt. The, they would uh, take the shield of faith, and once they secured it, they would actually secure it to the belt so the shield wouldn't go flopping around. Uh, so the belt was foundation to everything that the soldier had. And uh, so Paul says, put on the belt of truth. It's sort of like what I can illustrate it uh, with a pakama. You familiar with a pakama? That's that tie cloth you wrap around. You ever see those things? See these tie folks? That, I mean, I have a bunch of them. You put on a pakama, and when you get out of the shower, you put this thing on, you kind of twist it, and, you know, it's like a little girly skirt. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. They're great. 
I, I, that's all you need to live in Thailand is a pakama. You can do everything with it. And if you ever, if you ever go out into the, uh, the Chonobo areas and the uh, rural areas of Thailand, and even, even in Chiang Mai you'll see it, you'll see these guys playing uh, a game called Takra, you know, where they kick the ball. And they get this pakama, which is, you know, just a wrap around like a towel. And they'll wrap it up and they'll pull it up and they'll gird up their loins and they'll turn them into shorts. And then they can run, they can play football, they can swim, they can take baths. I mean, they're just ingenious. You can carry babies with them. I mean, you can do all sorts of stuff with these things. That's, that's, that's sort of what, what, uh, what it means to gird up your loins here. That's what the purpose of the Belt of Truth was, to gird up your loins so that you would have freedom in the battle. And uh, so Paul says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And, you know, I've always interpreted this to mean the truth of the word of God. And that's true. It is referring to the truth of the word of God. But, uh, but he's speaking to Christians. Now keep that in mind. All right? Paul is speaking to people who are already Christians. And they already have the truth of the word of God. And he doesn't use a definite article in the Greek here. So the truth here can be rightly interpreted as truthfulness or sincerity. And so to put on the belt of truth, the, the behavior that you and I are to emulate as a Christian, and we're talking about the armor of God which protects us in the battle that we find ourselves in, that the, the, the behavior that we are to emulate is truthfulness, sincerity of heart, to be truthful, to be truthful in our speaking, to be truthful in our, in, our, in our thinking, to be truthful in our behavior, to be honest, uh, to be honest, uh, not to be a person uh, with deception, not to be a person who lies. And so when we talk about the belt of truth, what we're really talking about is a type of behavior which will then protect you from the onslaught of the enemy. That is, when you are honest, when you're truthful, when you're sincere as a, as a believer, then you are protecting yourself spiritually. You are carrying the armor of God. Right, so what, what I've said is, the armor of God, it's, a matter, it's not something that you necessarily put on. It's a possession that you already have in Christ Jesus. If you have Christ Jesus, you have the armor of God. The question is, is it protecting you? And to the extent that you are being truthful and sincere in your walk with God, in your speech, in your tongue, in your thinking, in everything else, that's the extent to which you're protected. And the wonderful thing about the belt of truth is that, is that uh, it would protect the abdomen. It would also give the soldier freedom of movement. And when we are truthful... Truthful and sincere as Christians, that is, there's no deception in us. There's no lying in us. That we're truthful, we're honest, we're sincere in everything we do. Then we have freedom and we have protection from the evil one. Now the second one is, um, the second one is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate, you can see it there. Uh, with the breastplate of righteousness, we would have put that on. And uh, the breastplate of righteousness really fell into four categories. Uh, some were made of leather. 
Uh, some, some were made of interwoven brass rings. Uh, high-ranking officials often had uh, a single piece of bronze that was molded uh, because they were high-ranking officials, so they got the really good stuff. You know, the low lifes, they got the leather. And the other guys, the other high-ranking officials got the bronze, and, you know, up it went. And so there was many different types of breastplates of righteousness. The picture you see here is one of interwoven brass rings that was actually connected to a leather vest, and it was sewn to a leather vest. And the whole purpose of, of the, the, the breastplate was to protect the lungs and the heart, to protect the vital organs, particularly the heart. And, uh, you know, commentators love to go off on the heart. And, uh, yeah, there's a point there. But the breastplate was there uh, to protect the vital organs, to protect the heart. Um, it was usually made of bronze, which wasn't the strongest metal, but it, was, but it had the advantage of being really lightweight, which is what a soldier wanted. He wanted to be able to have the lightweight and be able to move freely, quickly. In an area when there was an era when there was hand-to-hand combat, uh, almost all the time, soldiers had a really balanced protection with freedom of movement. There was a fine balance there between, you know, what do you take? You take the iron, which is going to weigh you down, which is a lot stronger. You're going to take the brass. You know, you choose your poison. Um, but at any rate, uh, the breastplate's role, it was obvious. It was to protect the most vital organs. And again, Paul here is referring to our behavior. He's referring to a type of behavior that we had to emulate. So what's the, what's the behavior that we had to emulate? And in terms of the breastplate of righteousness, can we flip over there to the next one? And the behavior that we had to emulate is personal holiness. Personal holiness. I believe what Paul is emphasizing here is that we are to be, as Christians, holy people. And the scripture supports that. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. And to the extent that you and I are living holy lives, personal holiness is to the extent that we are protected by the armor of God. It's also referring not only to personal holiness, but to righteous living. So living righteously as a Christian, living a holy life, will protect you from the evil one. Um, what he's not referring to here is imputed righteousness. Now, imputed righteousness is what we received when we became believers. And most people refer to the breastplate of righteousness as being imputed righteousness. That when you and I became a believer, we accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that Jesus made a transfer of his righteousness to us so that we who were unholy now became holy through his sacrifice. And he imputed his righteousness to us. So, so in the eyes of God, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees the blood of his son. And he sees you as holy. You are positionally in Christ. You are just as holy as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Whether you want to believe that or not. You're just as holy. Why? Because it's not, it's not dependent upon you. It's what God did for you. And Jesus said that unless your, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. And there's no way on this earth that you and I could ever attain to that kind of righteousness apart from somebody giving it to us as a gift. But that's not what he's talking about here. 
He's not talking about imputed righteousness. He's talking about the practical side of righteousness, that is living a holy life, living a righteous life, living a godly life. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about being holy, doing good works, right living. That paves the way for God's strength in your life. And so, to the extent that we are living holy lives, to the extent that we are living righteous lives, that's the extent to which we are protected from the onslaught of the evil one. And so the question, the question comes, are you living a holy life? Are you living a righteous life? Are there areas in your life where you are not living righteously? Are there areas in your life where you are not holy? That's where the devil will attack you. Uh, the third piece of armor is the shoes, the uh, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. And, uh, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shoes. The shoes... Um, you know, we have shoes for every conceivable activity. Uh, if you went to my house, we have five racks of shoes. I mean, they're just all lined up right there. You know? I mean, I got five kids, and I got a lot of shoes. And we have shoes for every, everything. I mean, you have shoes for dress shoes. You have, you have casual shoes. Uh, you have shoes for athletics. And then when you get into athletic shoes, I mean, I mean you got shoes for basketball, shoes for running, shoes for futsal shoes for soccer. I mean, it just goes on and on. And the thing is, you have to have the right shoes. Otherwise, you know, you can't compete. Uh, yesterday, I was watching my daughter, Kana, uh, play in a game. Some of you were there uh, playing Grace. And one of the Grace girls, poor little girl, she's so cute, she sprained her ankle. I felt so bad for her. And uh, took a pretty hard sprain. And I was sitting with... Um, uh, 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 who is it? Doug, Doug Wells? Is it Doug Wells? Doug Wells? And I was sitting with a friend of mine. We were just talking. And, <laughs> and he, says, he says, you know, I see that happen a lot. These kids, they sprain their ankles. And I looked, I said, yeah, but well, she's wearing running shoes. She didn't have basketball shoes on. And, and listen, parents, you want to save a lot of money in medical bills? Buy the right shoes for your kids. I mean, if they're playing basketball, buy them basketball shoes because running shoes will sprain their ankle real easy. Uh, so buy, save yourself some money, spend a thousand by, buy some good shoes, and you'll save thousand, you know, ten thousand by the medical bills. Anyway, um, you know, we have shoes for everything. You know, uh, you play tennis. You watch Roger Federer play tennis. You know, if he plays on a grass court, he has one pair of shoes. If he plays on a concrete court, he has a different pair of shoes. If he plays on a on a, uh, a clay court, he has a different pair of shoes on. He has a shoes for every type of surface there is. And so, shoes are really important. Uh, a soldier's shoes are actually more important than an athlete's shoes. Why? Because that's what's going to keep him alive. I mean, his shoes were so important. That was the thing that was going to keep him alive. Do you remember the movie Black Hawk Down? Anybody ever see that movie? Black Hawk Down, good movie. A movie all about courage and, you know, losing sight of your vision and then getting back on the vision and, and all this. You remember the, do you remember the scene? Sorry, if you haven't seen the movie, sorry, but uh, go out and rent it. Uh, if you're a pacifist, don't rent it. 
Black Hawk down. This guy is, is goes in. They're, they're doing a, a secret mission. They go they go off their track and they, and they go into Bosnia territory. They get some top secret video of the the, uh, the the genocide that's going on in Bosnia. And he gets shot down. Buddy gets shot, and he's on the run. He's in enemy territory. He's on the run for his life. And uh, he finally gets to a point where he can tri- triangulate with the ship, with the uh, the cruiser that's out in the, out in the ocean. Tells him his location. He says, all right, we're going to come get you. We'll meet you at this location. You be there. He goes. Nobody shows up. And the guy's discouraged. He's depressed. He's going to die. There's people chasing him. I mean, this is really bad stuff. And uh, he finally gets somewhere else. He triangulates with the, with the ship. And there's a political thing going on in Washington between the Serbs and the Bosnia, and they don't want to disrupt things. So it's kind of like what Obama did with, you know, between, you know, do we go into Afghanistan or don't we? They can't make a decision. They spend money real well, but they can't make decisions. Um, and so he gets stuck. He gets stuck running. And what ends up happening is that uh, uh, the, the captain gets on, gets on the mic or the walkie-talkie, and, and, he, and the thing he said, you know what he says to him? He's trying to encourage his man, who's in the middle of a spirit, not spirit, but a battle, running for his life. And the first thing he says to him, he says, son, how are your boots? He said, yeah, boots are good. Why? Because without his boots, he's dead in the water. Without your boots, you're dead. And so a Roman soldier's sandals, <laughs> you know, his sandals were everything. And these sandals were really, had really thick, soles on them, and on these soles they had studs and spikes and stuff like that, sometimes up to a half an inch inch long, where they could get a grip on stuff, and they, and they would actually come up to their ankles. Um, their shoes uh, were really, really important. Um, they were like a sandal type of variety. They were studded with small nails uh, in order to provide stability and hand-to-hand combat, that sort of thing. They came up to the ankle. During cold weather, they would often take fur or something like that and put it inside or wrap it around their feet, then put their sandals on so they could stay warm. Uh, later in the first century, they actually came up with a type of boot which the Roman generals then wore. The, the low-life people, they still kept the sandals. But the uh, generals, they got the boots. And, uh, but the, the sandals were important. The sandals were really important. Um, the, 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 in the Greek, the word here means really to be to be prepared. It means preparation. And so it has a general meaning of being ready. So when, so when we talk about the behavior that goes along with the sandals, so what, what this is, the behavior that we're to emulate is that we're to be ready. We're to be ready. I mean, a soldier who doesn't have his boots on is not ready for the battle. Uh, every morning, my kids get on a song town and go to school. And every morning, I'm shouting, I get your shoes on. <laughs> Get your, you got the same problem, right? Get your shoes on, you know, because they're not ready until they get their shoes on. And then they can get on the song town and go. But uh, it's talking about to be ready, to be confident. Uh, Paul uses this expression in Titus 3.1 where he says, he's, ex- he's exhorting believers and he says, to be ready for every good deed. Be ready for every good deed. And so the shoes, really, the, the behavior that we had to emulate with the shoes is that we had to always be ready. Paul here is saying, put your shoes on. Get busy. Get ready. He's talking about our behavior. He's saying, be ready to go, be ready to move, be ready to work, be ready to serve. Get ready. 
Be ready. Now, how can we be ready? Well, he talks, he, he goes on and he says, he says in this passage, in, uh, particularly in the sandals, he says, um, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, the gospel of peace here is referring to the fact that you and I, as believers, we now have peace with God. That is, that when you and I became believers, that God's wrath was turned away. That the wrath of God was, the theological term, propitiated. That God no, is no longer angry at you, but you have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we can be confident. And we can always be ready. What this is not referring to, which many people refer to it as referring to, is evangelism. A lot of people translate this as being evangelistic. He's not talking about evangelism. He's talking about a battle. He's talking about being ready to do battle. Now, there's a place for evangelism, but that's not what he's talking about here. We often look at the, the gospel, uh, the shoes of the gospel of peace is referring to those who bring good news on, you know, that's not what it's referring to. It's referring, it's referring to a battle. That the soldier who's in the battle is always ready. He's confident. Why? Because he's been made right with God. He has peace with God. God's wrath has been turned away. God no longer is angry at you. He's not showing his wrath towards you. Therefore, you can be confident in the love and the security that God has for you. Now, part of the spiritual battle is that, is that Satan will try to rob you of that, and he'll say, God doesn't love you. And God doesn't think you're that great. And he'll attack you in those areas. But the fact of the matter is, is that as we uh, put on the shoes of feet, uh, the sandals, that we have to be ready. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. Uh, Roman soldiers used two kinds of shields. They used a, a small shield... Uh, for hand-to-hand -hand combat. But then they also had this large shield, which you can see depicted here, which is about four feet high by two feet wide, two and a half feet wide. It was fondly referred to as the door. That's what they, that's what they called it, the door. And, uh, and it, was, it, was, uh, it was often made of uh, this, this difference of opinions. So some, some were made of wood with leather covered over it. Some were made of leather uh, it depends, but beside the point, they had this big shield, and often they soaked these shields in water and just got them sopping wet. And the reason was that when they went into battle, the soldiers would line up. Tim, Tim referred to this last week, and they would line up, and they would just form a barricade across, and they would interlock these shields or overlap these shields, and they would just slowly, methodically move forward. And as, as they were coming up to a, a castle or some sort of fortress, they would shoot flaming darts, uh, flaming arrows down at these, and they would hit these soaking wet shields and just, just become extinguished instantly. And they would methodically work their way up, pressing in, pressing in, pressing in, pressing in, until they got to the gates, knock the gates down, go in, you know, and then they pull out the little small shield and, you know, go to work. Um, that was the idea, the shield of faith. And so they had, they had a couple of different kinds of shields, but the, 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 the main one here was, was that... Now, that's, uh, that's what faith does. Faith 
when you exercise faith, it makes you virtually impenetrable. And that's, what was, that's the idea here. These people were impenetrable. And when you and I exercise faith, not only individually, but also as a body, we can be impenetrable. Um, now, Paul is talking about our behavior again. Uh, what many people have translated this as being is, is, is the creed, a creed of faith. Or they've, they've looked at this and translated it as being a body of Christian beliefs that you acknowledge with your intellect. All right? Now, that's part of it. That's the basis for it. But that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is faith in action. It's talking about your faithfulness. So, so, the, so the behavior that we are to emulate in this is faithfulness. Faithfulness, being faithful to your calling, being faithful to God, being faithful to your work. And it's also talking about trust and obedience, trusting in the Lord, trusting in God, uh, obeying obeying Him. Uh, he's talking about basic trust in God. Now the fiery darts, the Romans would often use these fiery darts and they would, the enemy would take their arrows and they would dip them in pitch, light them, and then from the walls of the fortress shoot down at the soldiers as they came marching with these with the shield of faith. And uh, the shield of faith would then snuff out the arrows. And that's what Satan does. Every temptation that Satan gives to us, I believe that every temptation that comes to us via Satan uh, can fit in one or two categories. He's either, number one, he's trying to uh, tempt us directly or indirectly. And the goal of his temptation is to cause us to doubt or to distrust God. Almost every temptation, every fiery arrow that comes your way has the purpose of causing you to doubt your salvation, to doubt God, to distrust God. And it's as we exercise our faith that we become strong in faith. Uh, the more you use the faith, the more you use your faith, the stronger your faith will become. The more you trust and obey, the stronger your faith will become. Uh, Well, last one I want to talk about this morning is the helmet of salvation. Uh, I'm going to leave the last two, the, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer to Tim for next week. Uh, but the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet of salvation uh, was an interesting piece of armor. And, uh, of course, it would cover the head. It was usually made of bronze, although some were made out of iron and leather. Uh, it was used... Uh, it was used to protect, uh, the, well, the, the, the helmet was used to obviously protect the head. And uh, it also had these cheek pieces, you can see, on the side to protect, uh, to pre protect the soldier. And it was hinged on each side, usually hung down. It was secured by leather straps of some kind. And the whole purpose of this was to protect the soldier. Uh, later, in, uh, later in the uh, first century, they actually had a piece that was called the bill that would come down and protect their, their throat. And they had a, a plate in the back that would protect their neck. And so the, the, the headpiece was a very important piece of the armor. And the idea was that uh, it would, as the soldier tried to, tried to strike his opponent, that it would be deflected off the shield and protect his head. Um, the purpose of the helmet was to protect the head from injury. Um, 
the fact that the helmet is related to salvation indicates something of Satan's blows and how Satan's going to attack. Uh, and I believe that one of the ways that Satan attacks us is he tries to attack us directly in two different areas, in our security and in our assurance. Our security and our assurance. Um, Satan's, Satan's sword, his broad, his broad sword, has two sharp edges as well. And one of those sharp edges is discouragement, and the other one is doubt. And I believe that Satan tries to discourage us and cause us to doubt, to doubt our faith, to doubt God. He often will cause us uh, to be discouraged by pointing to our failures. He points to our sins. He points to our unresolved problems. He points to our poor health. Anything negative in our lives, he tries to point to that to get us to be discouraged and get our eyes off of off of God. And so, Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Doubt, doubt, he also causes us to doubt the truth of God, to doubt our salvation, to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt the power of God, uh, to doubt God in every single area of life. And that's part of his attack, part of his uh, tactics of what he's trying to do. And so Paul is saying, Paul is talking about uh, putting on the helmet of salvation in order to protect your head. So how do we protect our head? What is, the, what is the behavior that we're to emulate here in terms of salvation? Now, he's not talking about salvation in terms of when you were saved. But he's talking about salvation in terms of acting out your salvation. And so the behavior that we're to emulate here is this. Next slide. It's to think right. It's right thinking. Paul is talking about the way we think. Now he's talking about he's talking to people who are already believers. He's not asking asking them to be saved. He's saying use your salvation to protect your head. Use your salvation to protect your head. Well, how do you protect your head? How do you protect your mind? By what you think. It's what you think. By right thinking, right meditation. So when I think about what he has done for me, it protects my head. When I think about all that he has promised me, it protects my head. When I meditate upon the scripture, it protects my head. When I read my Bible, it protects my head. When I think about the character of God, who God is, what God has done, what God is like, it protects my head. And to the extent that we meditate and think on these things, or the extent that we put our mind on things above is to the extent that we protect our head. And so when we talk about when we talk about the armor of God, I want to make it abundantly clear that the armor is not something that you necessarily put on. Now it is something you put on, but you've already put it on. When you became a believer in Jesus, you inherited, you inherited God's salvation. You inherited faith. You inherited righteousness. You inherited all these things. The question is, the question is, is it protecting you? 
And of all the pieces of armor that we looked at today, uh, you could make a case that they are for protection. And really, there's only one piece of armor that's for the offensive, and that's, that's the sword of the Spirit. And you may even say that prayer could be an offensive weapon as well. But most of what we talked about today between, between the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the shield and the, the breastplate and the shoes, the helmet, it's all protection. It's to protect you from the onslaught of the evil. To what extent it's protecting you really depends upon how you're living your life. And that's really the key to this. Paul is laying out for us He's looking at a Roman soldier, and he's making, he's making an analogy. And he's saying, you need to be protected in the same way that that soldier is protected when he goes into war. And the way you protect yourself is by living a certain way. It's by doing a certain thing. And so when we talk about, when we talk about you can move on there, when we talk about the belt, we're talking about truthfulness, sincerity. To what extent are you a truthful person? To what extent are you a sincere person? To what extent do you, do you not lie? The breastplate, he's talking about personal holiness, righteous living. To what extent are we holy? Is there anything in our life that, that, that's unholy? Are there areas in our life that we're delving in that we shouldn't be involved in? Are we righteous? I'm not talking about positionally. Positionally, you are. The shoes. Are we confident? Confident in the fact that God loves you. He cares for you. He's not angry at you. His wrath has been turned away. And because of that, we're now ready. Are you ready? Are you confident? The shield. Faithfulness, trusting and obeying in God. Uh, to what extent are we faithful? To what extent are we trusting and obeying God? The helmet. To what extent are we thinking? Are we thinking right? Are we meditating? And I believe that as we, as we, as we take the armor of God and we live it out, we live it out, as an expression of our faith that we've already received in Christ. To the extent that we do that will be to the extent that we are protected as believers. And nothing, nothing on this side of heaven will be able to stop a Christian like that. Nothing. Now, I've spoken primarily to Christians today. If you're... If you're here this morning and you're, you're not a believer, you're, you may be seeking, you, you may be here and uh, visiting, I, I don't know. Uh, what I've talked about today with the armor is not going to help you one bit. That's not going to help you one bit. But what will help you is when you come to a point in your life where you acknowledge who Jesus is. And by accepting Christ, acknowledging the fact that you're a sinner, that you're a sinner, and that you need a Savior, when you do that, then you inherit the armor of God. You inherit Jesus. 
Because the armor of God is a picture of Jesus and everything that he's done for us. So if you're here this morning and you've never, you've never trusted in Christ, and you're wondering what this is all about, there's lots of people here that can talk to you, and I want to encourage you to maybe stay after church and talk to some people. I'll be happy to talk to you. I know Tim will, and there's other men here who will talk to you. But there's a battle going on. And uh, to the extent that we live the Christian life in the way that God wants us to live it, it's the extent that we're protected from the battle and the fall. Let's, uh, let's join in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the book of Ephesians. Thank you for the armor of God. Thank you for how you have equipped us with everything pertaining to life and godliness. And Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here this morning who perhaps has not trusted you or who is uh, seeking after you, And Lord, you would help them to make that decision, that you would speak to them. And for those of us who are sitting here this morning, Father, I pray that you would would have spoken to us, that the areas in our lives that are not pleasing to you, areas in our lives that we are weak, our armor is weak, that, Father, you would help us to uh, take up uh, the armor of God and to put it on by acting out our faith. And so we just thank you, we praise you. I commit each person to you. I pray that you would bless us. Give us a great week. Lord, help us to live for you this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.